right, well, for the last several weeks, both campuses of Spirit and Life Church have been in what I thought to be a really cool sermon series, studying the Bible's Gospel of John. We've seen in this series how the Word of God became flesh in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We've seen during this series the miracles that Jesus worked during his earthly ministry, proving himself to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. We've seen Jesus as the great I am and the I am statements of Jesus Christ throughout the Gospel of John. Just last week, Pastor Matt Benson brought to you Jesus' farewell discourse, and now today, the Gospel of John reaches its dramatic conclusion, and I am tasked to bring you the story of the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus Christ is kind of the low point of the story, but stay tuned for next Sunday when we meet resurrection once again. Over and over again in the Gospel of John, Jesus reveals himself in various different ways to be the Messiah. But now here at the end, in his suffering, death, and resurrection next week, Jesus' true identity as the Messiah is perhaps most clearly revealed as he gives himself to save the world. It was late on Thursday night of what has come to be known as Holy Week, the final week leading up to Jesus' end of his earthly life. And on that night, Jesus had gathered with his disciples in the upper room to celebrate with them a last supper together, the Passover meal, which Jesus there explained we would continue to celebrate for ages to come in remembrance of him. After the supper, now very, very late in the evening, Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane near the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And there Jesus prays. That's where we pick up the account of Jesus in John chapter 18. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we're giving them away for free out at our welcome table. Scripture is also up on the screen and inside your Lifeline bulletin. John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men, his disciples, go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. 
The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And so begins the biblical story of the arrest and trial and crucifixion of Jesus. In this first scripture that we're reading today, I want you to notice how Jesus now multiple times echoes those I am statements we talked about several weeks ago. I am he. And when he says that, the chief priests and the Pharisees, the crowd out to get him, recoils. Because they remember this is the very Jesus who time and time and time again has spoken and has performed miracles in proof that he is the great I am, God in the flesh. This is the Christ. This is the promised Messiah. This is God in the flesh you're trying to arrest, and he has done no wrong. But even in this moment of bullying, this moment of violence, this moment of pure injustice, the innocent and blameless Jesus is still in charge. He refuses to use violence, though he could have called down legions of angels to rescue himself and his friends. But he didn't do that. Jesus went willingly. He knew what he had come to earth to do. And so what might have looked to an outside observer as chaos and pandemonium was really a situation in which Jesus, the great I am, is still sovereign, still in control. Well, now they bind Jesus and they take him off to Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, and there he was interrogated and beaten. Well, the Jewish rulers didn't want to have the guilt of the condemnation of Jesus on themselves. So from the house of Caiaphas, they take him off to the Roman governor's palace, a fellow you've heard of named Pontius Pilate. And trying to pass the buck, a phenomenon we see in Washington from time to time. No, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. The Jewish rulers didn't want to bring uncleanness upon themselves, so they're trying to pass this Jesus fella off onto the Romans. We're now in John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, so they... They themselves did not enter the governor's house so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? You can see him hemming and hawing. He's not done anything wrong. Well, they answered him, If if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. That is to say, the Jewish punishment of death would have been by stoning. But we see throughout the Old Testament and in the words of Jesus himself that he would be nailed to the cross. So Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? 
Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. But then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus knew he had come to the moment that his whole life was purposed for. There in front of Pontius Pilate stands the way, the truth, and the life, the embodiment of truth, the voice of truth. And Pilate says to him, truth? Well, everybody has their own kind of truth. Moral relativism is what this is called here in verse 38. Moral relativism. The idea that there is really no truth. There's no absolute. There's, there's a, a pan up, a buffet, old country buffet of truth. And if you want a little bit of that and a little bit of that, well, nobody can tell you it's wrong. Well, my friends, we look around the world today and we see this very sort of thing, don't we? Moral relativism. The idea that everybody can have their own truth and this one's truth is just as valid as that one's. And so this concept that we see here in verse 38, perpetrated by Pilate, is nothing new when we see it today. But of course, the insidious result of this kind of worldview is that if everybody's truth is valid, if every truth is equally fine, well then nothing is really, truly true. And so they're looking at the face of truth, hearing the voice of truth, seeing the embodiment of the truth of God in Jesus Christ, Pilate still refuses to acknowledge it. Yes, Jesus is a king, but not in the earthly sense that a governor like Pilate would understand. For this Christ is the king of heaven, the king of kings and governor of governors and lord of lords. And with truth, Jesus tells Pilate that his kingdom is higher and greater and better than a short-sighted earthly relativist would understand. Pilate gives the Jewish leaders and the others in that crowd a choice. They say, I will release for you one of these prisoners. We can release this Jesus called the Christ, or we can release a common criminal called Barabbas. Well, of course, the people choose to have the robber named Barabbas released. So now we have not only the Jews guilty of condemning Jesus, not only do we have the Roman rulers guilty of condemning Jesus, but now we have this whole crowd of people guilty of condemning Jesus. He could have been released, but they said, no, crucify him, crucify him. And so now not only are the Jews and not only are the Romans, but the whole crowd of people are shouting for Jesus to be crucified. My friends, the sad reality is that you and I were in that crowd that day by our own sinful choices, by our own selfish actions. 
We too have called for Jesus to be crucified. We were in that crowd that day. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. This is the second beating that Jesus receives as recorded in John. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, mocking him. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. That phrase hearkening us back to the words of John the Baptist earlier when he sees Jesus coming and says, Behold the Lamb of God. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The buck continues to be passed. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. You know what? Yeah, calling yourself God in the flesh is a sin. It's blasphemous. Unless, of course, in the case of Jesus, he really is. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid He entered his headquarters and again said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So often we like to glory in our status. Look at this, look at this job I've attained. I'm a GS 452, right? Look at, look at what I have achieved, this house that I've got, these cars that I've got, the clothes that I wear, the jewelry that I have, the, the, the whatever stuff. Jesus said, you'd have nothing at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the sixth, excuse me, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And despite his lip service, verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so from there in the story, Jesus bore his own cross, carried his own instrument of pain and death to the place of the skull called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, hung between two criminals. 
And fulfilling even more Old Testament prophecy, the story now continues in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing cast lots. Even while he suffers on the cross, still the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the God of both Testaments, is sovereign. And still then, in that moment of suffering, still the prophetic scriptures are being fulfilled. And now we see John's own first-hand eyewitness testimony of what looked to anybody present like it was the end. John 19, verse 28. After this, knowing all that was finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That phrase, it is finished, in the ancient language is teletelestai, which is actually an ancient Greek commerce term, teletelestai. Literally translates, not it is finished, but paid in full. If you had an invoice that you had paid off by your uh, Greek merchant, they would stamp the invoice or they would write on the invoice, teletelestai, your bill has been paid in full. And now as the perfect savior of the world gives his life for sinners, even us who are responsible by our sin for sending him there, he declares our sin, our debt to God, paid in full. And look how John himself describes the final moment. This is eyewitness testimony. John doesn't note that Jesus screamed in agony at the end, as though tortured against his will. But acknowledging the purpose he had come to do, acknowledging the work he had come to fulfill, Jesus says it is finished, paid in full, and bows his head and gives up his spirit. John could have written any words he wanted to to describe this last moment. So it's, it's important to note the way John actually describes this. John doesn't say Jesus died. He doesn't say Jesus was killed. But he says, and take note, he gave up his spirit. Willingly, not unwillingly. He didn't lose his life, he gave it up voluntarily, a willing sacrifice, a Passover lamb without offering, without blemish or spot, freely offered up to God as an atonement for sin. Even for we who crucified him, he went willingly. He gave himself up willingly. In this greatest act of love and self-sacrifice, Jesus willingly lays himself down, gives himself up for us. Why? Why would you 
lay yourself down to, for, for the sake of people who have been so evil, so terrible, so selfish against you. Because he loves them. Anyway. Because he loves you. Anyway. Because he loves us. Anyway. Because we are God's children. And even though we rebel against our heavenly father, nothing can make God stop loving us. Why would, he, why would he endure this when he could have called down legions of angels, when he could have fought back? Why did he lay himself down? All and only because he loves us. If you have any doubt that you are truly and deeply loved, my friends, this story should remove it. You are loved by your maker, your creator, God. Let this moment in scripture prove that to you. You are loved so much that even though your sins and mine sent Jesus to the cross, still he gave himself up willingly and freely to pay the debt of sin that we owed to a perfect God. That's love, to lay himself down for us. On the cross, the author John intends for us to see that God himself has come in the flesh to take the hurt, to take the pain, to take the injustice, to take the darkness of this imperfect, fallen, sinful world upon himself. We don't serve some distant, detached, unfeeling, uncaring God. We serve a God who suffers with the suffering, who hurts for the hurting, who dies for a world that has been in darkness since Genesis chapter 3. And here at the cross, the Word become flesh, the very essence of God in Jesus Christ, gives himself freely even to we who had turned our back on him because he loves them because he loves us and lest there be any doubt because he loves you jesus was asked how much he loves us and he said this much and he spread out his hands and died. God and Father of us all, we were there in the crowd that day. Every time we chose us instead of you, every time we loved self instead of neighbor, every time we looked for the short-term instant gratification of sin instead of the long-term heavenly perspective we were there in the crowd that day by our sins by our action by our inaction at times yes god we have all shouted to crucify him and while he could have fought back he didn't while he could have won in an earthly sense that day he laid himself down willingly he gave up his spirit willingly God in our moments of despair of sadness of self-doubt 
remind us just how much we are truly loved. Just how precious, precious to you, God, our creator, we really are. When we walk through life in a world of hurt, remind us that we have a God, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who hurts with us. When we weep, remind us that we serve a Savior who weeps with us. When we mourn, remind us that we have a God who mourns with us. When we suffer, remind us of the Christ who suffers with us and who suffered for us. God, if anybody here today for the first time is willing to start a life-changing, soul-saving, sin-forgiving, hell-defeating, death-conquering relationship with Jesus Christ, have them do it right now. In their own words, in their own way, in their own heart. Have them cry out to you, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. But I believe you love me anyway, so much that you went to the cross to take my place, to take my punishment, to, to atone for, to make up for my sin as my substitute. An offering for me. And Jesus, I accept this free gift. And I make you my Lord and my Savior and the master of my life. But I know, God, that's not the end. That's only the beginning. I want to live my whole life in relationship with you, living life here and now with the same kind of purpose that we knew Jesus had in his life, that you've got a purpose for my life too. Help us to learn that purpose, but more importantly, help us to live it out and help us to go forth from this place. God, all of us acting and living and loving and thinking as those who have been redeemed. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.